0: That's MyFlexLearning.com forward slash B-E. Welcome listeners. This is the Authority Podcast on the B Podcast Network. Uh, I wanted to take a moment to pause before we begin our interview today and say we're several episodes into the series now. And of course, you've heard from a variety of great authors and had these conversations about their books. So we'd love to put it out to you as listeners. Let us know who else you'd love to hear on the show. Send us a note on social media. The information is down there in the show notes, um, or if you have any other means of getting in touch with anyone here at the network. um, Let us know, you know, what books have been making a difference for you. What authors do you think would be amazing to have on the show? And we'd love to uh, connect with those folks. Without further ado, though, let me get into today's interview. So I'm your host today, Ross Romano, and I'm really pleased to welcome Elizabeth Jorgensen to the show. Elizabeth is an award-winning writer and a teacher and a sought-after speaker. In 2021, she was named one of America's 20 Most Inspiring Educators by the Henry Ford Innovation Nation Teacher Innovator Awards, and she's also won a variety of other awards. Plus, her students have been published and won writing awards from the Pulitzer Center, Teen Inc., Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, NCTE, and many more organizations um so you know we're here today to discuss elizabeth's latest book hacking student learning habits which is about process-based assessment and the book is available from times 10 publications so elizabeth i won't uh drone on about your bio anymore we will put a link um because there's a variety of other writing elizabeth has done as well that listeners may be interested in um but we'll save that for later and for now uh, welcome to the show
1: thank you for having me
0: awesome so i'm, I'm really uh you know, intrigued to dive into this book. It So much of what you wrote about is actually related to a lot of things I've been working on recently around writing and developing those habits, right? And the daily habits that we build upon to continue just getting better and better. And it's awesome to see that you have written about this in a book that is for educators that are working in schools, because that's one of the critiques uh, I think that's thrown around a lot when adults are engaging in learning around these processes and habits that's oh well you know schools don't do this right Um, and what you're saying is well actually (laughs) we have developed a way to do this in our schools and we're now writing about this so others uh, can learn about it as well and so I I really wanted to start with um, I, I think the project. Uh, That um, sort of was where you started to have some of these revelations around how this might work, which was a college essay writing group you had organized in your school. And so can you talk about that, what that program was, and then what started to kind of dawn on you to say maybe this could translate to the more formal classroom setting as well?
1: Yeah, I teach primarily juniors and seniors in high school, and a lot of them ask, can you help me with my college essay? And my colleagues and I went to our administration and just said, is there a time and a place that we could dedicate to helping students with their applications? And they allowed us to run a summer workshop for a couple of days where kids would come to the building and we would just talk about, you know, what is a college admissions officer looking for in your essay? And then they would write drafts and they would bring us drafts for feedback. And then they would partner with their peers to get feedback. And then they'd share their essays with their mom and their dad and, you know, and just keep working on them both in collaboration and independently. And what we noticed, my colleagues and I in this workshop is that the kids were so engaged in the daily work that they came excited to write. They came wanting to produce the best thing that they could. And the college essay workshop was a gradeless endeavor. Never did we put a grade on the essay. Never did we hand out a rubric and say, do this and you get an A, do this and you get a B. And so we we were saying, you know, how can we recreate this environment in our classrooms? How can we get kids to engage with drafting, with workshopping, with asking for feedback and then applying that feedback. Um, And we knew that part of it was having this authentic purpose. That the kids really cared about what they were doing. But we also felt that it was the lack of grading the outcome that was really impacting the kids. They felt like they could take a risk. They felt like they could try something, do something innovative or different because they weren't going to be downgraded if they didn't do precisely what the teacher had prescribed. Um, and so yeah, we, we talked about this and brought it to our administration, our department, and we really learned that people in our building are doing this in other areas, in tech ed, in choir, in phi ed, and we could do it too in our English classes.
0: Right. Yeah, there's like the the micro lessons in there, one of which being, of course, that the students know exactly why they want this to be successful, right? So you don't have to tell them what their motivation is to do really well at this. They're coming because they're saying, well, I want to write a great essay because I want to get into uh, whatever school is my dream. Um, And then also it really, I think, illustrates um, a scenario that is authentic in the real world context as far as obviously you mentioned it being ungraded and there would be no real way to grade it because it's entirely subjective there's no such thing as you don't know when it's good enough right you just want to keep making it better and better because whoever reads that on whatever day they read it you want them to get the best possible product and it's impossible to say okay we've done it you <laughs> know this is an a great um because there's you know the spectrum of potential outcomes or or how well each student can do at refining their writing process is unlimited Um, which i think is indicative of things that they would do as they go out into the real world and they're in different professions or they're trying to create something new to say there's no this is not on a one to 100 scale it's uncharted territory and the only way to do my best work is just to keep working at it and getting a little better, uh, you know, every day.
1: And We can't control outcomes. Never can we control an outcome. Like you're mentioning with the college essay, right? You send that off. You can't control if they let you in or if they don't. And there's too many factors to even begin to understand why maybe you got in or you didn't. And that's where we want students to shift, right? Away from outcomes and onto the processes. What can I control? And that is my daily process. It's, did I come to the college essay workshop? Did I listen? Did I have questions? Did I collaborate? Right. Those are the things that we can control, these daily habits, these processes that lead us then to increased outcomes, but we don't even need to focus on the outcomes when we do all the little things, all the habits correctly.
0: Right. Yeah. And and so, um, you know, and as you start to define what are some of the key components of this process-based assessment, you, of course, write about de-emphasizing grades as the outcome, right? And then um, introducing small, measurable, progress-driven goals that are really what we're looking at versus that grade at the end. Can you talk about that a little bit? What's the starting point for that? And then... when when you talk about these small measurable goals, what what are some of those? What do those look like?
1: Yeah, well, I try to put the student in control as much as I can. Um, So today, actually, we just hit the midway point of first quarter, so we're halfway through the quarter. And so I sat down with every student and I just said, how's the course going? How is the content impacting your progress? And then they just talked about what they've seen, how they've seen improvements, what's working, what isn't. And then they identified, where they want to focus their time. So where are you still struggling? What do you need to do to, you know, get better at that? And then what can I, as your instructor, do to foster that growth, to develop that, to help you achieve your goals? Um, for each kid, it's so different, but they, if they own what their own process goal is. Then they have the language to talk about it, and then they also have this. They want to. They chose what to work on, um, and they're really, really good at identifying deficiencies, and then also what they need to do to, you know, develop those a bit more.
0: Right, and um, it's something. That, so there's a book that a lot of listeners may certainly be familiar with. It's been a bestseller, James Clear's Atomic Habits, and you refer to some different stories from that book here and one that I thought was a really good uh, way of, of kind of describing the difference of what this might look like is in the introduction, you write about um, the two groups of student photographers and the one group that was directed to focus on quantity and the other one to focus on quality. Can you talk about what that story is and what that looked like? And then we'll kind of get into a little bit about, I I, I think it's a, a really powerful way of visualizing, okay, this is the difference between maybe the traditional way and what we're trying to get more toward. Yeah, so
1: this professor, Um, split his photography class into two halves, one half. You are graded on your ability to take one perfect image. Mm -hmm. That's it. You at the end of the semester, give me this one perfect image. And the other group, you are graded on the volume, the quantity of images that you can submit. So that group, they went out and they took photographs from down. They took photographs from above. They took photographs in the dusk, in the morning. They took photographs of animals, of plants, of people. They took it on different settings with different, like you name it. They just took a volume of photos because that's what they were graded on. In contrast to the other group, one perfect image group, they were paralyzed. <laughs> right. They looked at this one perfect image and thought, my goodness, how am I ever going to do it? And so then they didn't, or they did, and then they failed because they hadn't tried. Um, and so, you know, I take this concept and I implement it into my classroom and that we're gonna try things. And some days it's gonna feel so good. It's gonna be like, this is amazing. I get it, it's flowing, it's creative. I, I can't stop, right? Just cause it's so good. And that's wonderful, right? We're gonna learn something in that. But other days we're gonna try it and we're just gonna feel like this is terrible. Why am I doing this? I'm stuck, it doesn't make any sense. And that's where we learn, right? We look at this and we think, what isn't working? Why isn't it working? What habit can I adjust? What process can I adjust? What different thing can I try? And then tomorrow we're gonna come back and we're gonna do more of what's working and less of what doesn't. And we're gonna do something different. And then we're gonna do something different. And then we're gonna do something different. And then by the midway point of the quarter, we're gonna look back and we're gonna say, I've done anaphora, I've done synesthesia, I've done metaphor, I've, you know, like all of these things that I didn't even know what they were, much less played around with them in my pieces. Um, and so, you know, it's the same concept of allowing kids to view failure and being stuck as a really good tool to move us forward and then not penalizing them, <laughs> not saying, oh, you had a rough day today, so I'm gonna mark your grade down. No, no, no. I'm going to give you credit for showing up and putting in the work and having those conversations or allowing yourself to learn from what we did today.
0: Right. Yeah. And I I think it's, it's there's a lot of little pieces in even in that. Um, that experiment where one is, of course, the nature of progress is incremental and not also nonlinear, right? I mean, over time, if you keep working at it every day, you'll keep getting better and better, but doesn't mean you're better every day. Some days are worse than the day before, or some assignments you don't do as well as the previous one, even though you have accumulated more skills. Um, And also, you know, I'm sure if they went back kind of to that point and looked at you know, where they found that consistently the quantity group students also had the higher quality photos. Those photos probably came from all over the place as far as where they were taken. They they weren't all the ones they took on the last day, um, and is, which part of that is about not getting students to try things and just to keep um, showing up every day is about not predetermining the outcome and not saying, well, if I do this today, it's not I don't think it's going to be that great. Well, you don't know that. <laughs> and you and you also don't know what you might learn or what might come out if you just do it. Just focus on you know the task at hand and and trust that you will learn from that, you'll make progress, which isn't isn't always what's incentivized.
1: Kids know this though. They know it from video games,
0: right? Right. They play
1: every day and every day isn't a great day. Like they can't always beat the game, but they, they know that progress isn't linear. And they also know that they learn something even when they fail. Right. (laughs) And the same thing they know, they see this in sport and in music right? I started playing the violin when I was five, and then I just practiced every day for 30 minutes, and some days are better than others, <laughs> but over time, I saw these improvements that, like you're saying, I couldn't say, oh, is that day that I really got good vibrato, <laughs> but, you know, it, it you learn something along the way just by showing up.
0: Yeah, so, um, so here, so as we think about, okay, now we're making this transition, and we've sort of, we got a, a, a use case of how this Um, transition might look in and how it may be effective and so now you're you go through the process of um, describing it to the different affected parties right so um, we'll get to uh, as as we get a little further this conversation about how you sort of describe this to students right and get them familiar with it Um, but I also wanted to think about a lot of our audience will be administrators here. And of course, within schools, if teachers come up with something they think is going to work and something that can be this potentially disruptive to the status quo as saying, you know, we need to de-emphasize grades and focus on other things. How would you go about describing this to an administrator, a principal, or somebody else in one of those roles to say, here's why this will work. Here's why it's an important thing to focus on. And here's also why it's not going to interfere with certain requirements, right, that we have to fulfill. We can't just dispense with everything, but we also need to, you know, recontextualize how we're focusing on toward wherever we really want our students to go.
1: Yeah, when we brought this to our admin, originally we wanted to throw out grades completely, wanted to get rid of them, and we were told that that's not possible now. So, you know, hopefully in the future maybe it will be, but right now we are we're in a system where we do have to put a grade on a transcript. And so the first thing that our administration did was connect us with people in the building who are assessing in innovative ways. And I thought that that was energizing to know that, yes, I have to put a grade on it, but I don't have to think of it in a rubric. And I don't have to think of it in terms of standards or mastery, which we've already suggested that that, that's not possible. And so I went to the choir department and just said, you know, talk to me about how you're assessing. And then I went to the tech ed and the engineering department and the same thing, Um, you know, and I got these examples of, we have a welding teacher who he gives the students a demonstration of how to weld. And then he says, this is the way that works for me, but you might find there's a better way that works for you. And then he says, okay, now go and practice. And once you have your weldment complete, bring it to me for assessment. And the kids know that they can earn a check, a check plus, or a check minus for their weld. And you know, there's certain things that the the teacher is looking for that it, well well beyond my expertise. But um, the students know, and then they choose when to bring the weldment to the teacher, and then they talk about it, and then together they decide what the student has earned. And the student has options to go back and try again and bring it to him. Um, but then you know, there's also they have to take the check and then transfer that to a percentage grade at some point. But just having my admin be supportive of this and pointing me in the direction, because the admin know things at a, a macro level that I don't know. How would I ever know to talk to the welding teacher about checks like that? That's just beyond me. And so that's that was energizing. And then we also found that our department of public instruction was offering a summit where teams of teachers could go and spend a, a weekend exploring a topic. And so our admin said, you know, you've done enough conversations, we're we're in support of what you're doing. We did a ton of research. We went to other conferences and along the way we just kept talking to people and I think that that was also key is like we believed in what we were doing and then we wanted everyone to join us, help us make this better. Like this isn't an end all be all and we don't claim to have all the answers and we're always shifting and changing our own habits to better meet this group of students but so we went to this summit and then we brought back what we we had learned um, talking to more teachers we ended up bringing it to our school board and having that be I don't know just embraced.
0: Yeah and you also have a clear standards of evaluation that are articulated in the book which I imagine also helps with those conversations to say we're not we're not talking about, you know, not evaluating. We're talking about assessing in a different and we believe more productive way. Can you describe a few of those? Because there's a couple that stand out that I think are worth um, diving right. into.
1: What, what are you thinking specifically? Uh,
0: <laughs> um, I think, you know, one of the ones that I, I, I think on its surface may prove more controversial without the full context of this shift is not accepting any late work. Oh, sure. Because so I think there's a big shift um, among a lot of educators right now to kind of say, well, that's in, in uh, it's an ineffective way to do it. But in this case, it's done for a particular reason, which is the point is not that what you're handing in is a final assignment or that it's meant to be perfect and graded, in which case, yes, the best way is to say, look, you know we don't want you to get a zero for this we we need to but in this case what you, what you're really trying to say is we need to develop daily habits so the point is do your work each day it doesn't matter in a sense how it turns out or it's not meant to be final or perfect it's meant to be learning and progress and so in that case the requirement the metric is consistency, right? consistency and so, over
1: intensity and consistency over perfection. Right. Yes, yes, yes. Um, so you're right. We do not accept any late work. Um, and the expectation is that you come in every day and you practice and you are assessed on your practice, not on your perfection. Um, I'll tell kids, think of your, uh, the basketball team that you're on. You go to a practice and your coach says, all right, we're going to try free throws, go shoot some free throws and you go and you shoot them. And as that's happening, the coach comes over and they say, oh, you know, I'm noticing that your, um, your elbow's not tucked in. So tuck in your elbow and follow through. And when you're following through, look at the rim, look, choose one spot and look there and then try it again. And you try it. And maybe that cue helps you and maybe it doesn't, but the coach comes back a little bit later and they, they help you again, right? They give you another tip or another trick or another thing to practice. And you do that every day. And one day you have a game, right? You go and you play in the game and then something happens or something doesn't happen. And what you can't do is you can't say to your coach, oh, I missed that practice three days ago. Can I redo that? Mm -hmm. No, there's no way to recreate that experience. I can't get the whole team together and run that scrimmage. And That experience is done and over with. Same with the sectional final game that happened last week. I cannot recreate that for you. That experience has happened and it's gone. It's the same thing in this class, right? Everything that we do together with the idea that we have this team around you, it's a performance experience that I cannot recreate. We can't go back and accumulate all of these days of practice. There's no way to make that up. And so, yes, every day we come in and every day we practice and every day we're assessed on our ability to practice, knowing that I can't recreate it for you. And I will not accept late work because I can't recreate that.
0: Right. Yeah. And it sort of reminds me a little bit of the, the quote from the, the hockey player, Wayne Gretzky, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take, right? Which um, is kind of, you know, a, a different way of looking at this, which is you not every shot you take goes in, but if you don't take it, you can't, it can't possibly go in. And in, in this case, if you don't show up for practice, if you don't do the drill, if you don't do the assignment, I can't possibly, you can't possibly learn anything. I can't, there's nothing I can teach you. I can't give you feedback because I haven't, you you didn't do anything.
1: And when the feedback is not a grade, when the feedback is meaningful to the student, then they see the value in the practice. They know if they don't write something or do something in class, there's nothing to hand in, which then means there's no feedback which then means there's no improvement, which then means next class you have nothing, what, what are you gonna do when everyone else is looking at their feedback? And so it's this, it, they just begin to learn that it's okay to make mistakes, It's okay to do, I was showing a a poem in class and it was about food. And we were discussing how food can be a topic for your own writing. And I had a student who that was very triggering for, and the student knew that they had to do something in class. And so they handed in a piece that had nothing to do with food, but it used the concepts that we had talked about. (laughs) And it's like brilliant. That's exactly what I want you to do. Use the time to focus on your craft hand in something so we have something to talk about.
0: Yeah, and it seems like it also really does open up the opportunities for personalization because your students are being given feedback and guidance to grow based on where they are currently and and what they are looking to achieve versus just according to their progress, according to some standard that's posted on the wall, which, of course, is important to motivating and supporting students who may be struggling a little bit, but also to continuing to incentivize a student who believes they've met the standard. And now, okay, I don't really. What do I need to do here anymore? I already have an A. What What else is there for me to do? And you know, the point is, well, sure, but it can. You can always be better. You can always learn more. Um, that's in alignment with what you're really interested in or passionate about. Right? It's not. like the same standard doesn't just apply across the board because there's a lot of nuances within that.
1: Right. We are never done, (laughs) never done learning. (laughs) And I think as educators, that's the goal. I want to produce students who are lifelong learners, who are excited about improving themselves, their craft, whatever they want to do with their life. I I hope that I'm inspiring them in some way to realize they can control their habits Mm -hmm. um, and they can control their process.
0: Yeah. So, um, and then, so going to one of the other uh, key audiences here, how would you describe this change to parents?
1: Yeah, at the beginning, it was quite a shift. Um, And we did a lot of communicating with parents in terms of writing them a letter, explaining what the grade book would look like, why it would look like that. um, And then just having those constant conversations. If a student wasn't practicing every day, reaching out early to parents, um, and then including the student in the team and saying, you know, you were asked to do X, Y, and Z today. You didn't. Can you talk about what you did with the time instead? And then what we can do to change your habits going forward. And the parents, once they realize what we're doing are on board and they are frustrated with their children when they don't practice because they're saying, "Miss Jorgensen is here for you. She, all she wants to do is make your writing better. And all you have to do is write and show her that writing and you're not, instead you're watching YouTube. Like, and so then the the parents, they very much get on board and they're on our team. Now that we've done this for five, six, seven years, um, the know about it. Our community knows about it. And we just had open house and quite a few parents came to me and said, an older sibling of the child that I have now took the class. And they saw how amazing it was for not only their skills, but also their confidence um, and what they knew about themselves. And so it now they're recommending this course to their friends. They're encouraging younger siblings to take it. They, the work was really done at the first couple of years to explain this to the community. And now people understand what we're doing and it's pretty well supported and accepted.
0: Yeah. And, and one of the things that is evident in this is the intentional use of class time for a lot of this work which strikes me as a way to really make learning equitable to understand that i think one of the destructive tropes around productivity that's out there is that we all have the same 24 hours a day and so if you're if you're an adult you know you have the same you have the same 24 hours a day as Beyonce what are you doing with it well not necessarily right because do you have kids do you not have kids do you have one job or do you have to work two jobs do you have an elderly parent to care for do you have you know if you're a student a lot of those same things plus do you have internet and device access at home do you have time to go to a library do you have other things that you need to be doing right the only time that we know all the students have is the class time that's what's in our control so being really intentional about saying, how do we make the most of that time to make sure every student is, that's where we're really focusing the true learning, which is the learning by doing, right? Which is our opportunity to individualize, uh, which a lot of times it's is hard to do, right? Because a lot of times that more explorational Um, personal learning is the stuff that happens outside of school time. And, but we know that not every student has the same opportunities to undertake that in the same ways with the same support, you know, whether or not they're able to get help from parents or caregivers or not, or, you know, all of those various factors that become outside of our control as a school to say, what we want is every student to succeed. And what's within our purview here, it's these X amount of minutes or hours a week that we have where we can actually work with the students.
1: Yes. And that's making that very clear to my students. You won't have homework. I will never ask you to go home and continue this work. I hope I inspire you to. (laughs) (laughs) I hope you're so into what we're doing that you go home and you continue it. But that is never the expectation. Not once will I assign homework. And they know how the class is structured. Like you were saying, very intentionally, one third instruction, one third practice, one third collaboration. Um, And we do that every day.
0: And another of the priorities that you list is around creating fun in the learning, which I'm interested to hear your view on how that resonates in particular, I think with the Parents and families who, you know, I I think it's so critical for schools as a whole to just continue strengthening those relationships and strengthening the communication around the understanding of what we're all, you know, the fact that we all have the same goals, what we're all trying to achieve. And I think that's one where, while every teacher, either on the surface or inside, would love for that to be the case, I want my students to enjoy their learning, I want it to be fun. It's not always necessarily communicated or assumed um, by the parents or by the students themselves to say that this is something that's an objective. Um, But I think bringing that right to the surface and saying that's also part of our goals here and it's on par with everything else, which is we we believe that things are going to work a lot better for everybody if they're enjoying what they're doing. Can you talk about that?
1: Well, isn't that true for you? Like, it's true for all of us. What we enjoy, we return to. <laughs> and if we can find that joy, what is that for your kid, for your students? Um, and, you know, it could be something really small, like, I love to write in this crazy font. Who cares? If that makes writing more fun, write in that font. Like, those little tiny things that we can give our kids control over, that sometimes helps. Obviously you can tell my energy, right? I try to bring yeah. that to them. Like I'm excited about this. Here's all these really cool things. And then they're, they're a 17 and 18 year old. So sometimes that works, <laughs> but other times you, right. you just have to say, what are you into? Um, I have a student who's leaving at semester to join the Air Force. And every single thing he's written so far has been about the air force. Why not? Right. It's what's on his mind. It's what he cares about for him. That's fun to write about it. And it's great for our relationship too, because then I can talk to him more eloquently, more intelligently because he's shared so much about it. Um, And just, little, little tiny things that we can do to bring in joy. Um, I do try to do compliments a lot. And students have said that that is some of the most useful feedback. Like this works for me because. This sentence gave me goosebumps because, right? And so then if they can lean into those things that they're doing well, that hopefully as well will breed some enjoyment.
0: Right, yeah, which I, I think is probably the listeners can hear that that enthusiasm coming through and uh, and it, it is a topic we have had an ability to touch on a few times here on the podcast around I think the two-way relationship between student and educator engagement, right. And um, we've talked a lot about the various things that administrators need to be aware of as far as creating environments where teachers aren't feeling, worn down, burnt out, you know, losing their joy of teaching, um, which of course is going to make it impossible for students to enjoy learning because you're really reacting to one another. In this case, of course, you're energized around being able to teach and assess according to something that you believe really works and is really good for students, which then rubs off on them. And then when they're writing about things they're really excited about, it rubs off on you. And then everybody's level of enthusiasm goes up but it's important to understand that those dynamics, right? One doesn't work without the other. Uh, we can't artificially just say, okay, well, let's just make our students have a great time if I'm here as a teacher and not also really feeling uh, bought into what we're doing. So I think that's a great example of that. So I'd love to transition now into going through, you have nine hacks as they're called as part of the hack learning series from times 10 publications, uh, but nine ways to foster resilient learners and assess the process. not not the outcome is the, the subtitle of the book here. So there's nine of these. We're going to go through just a few of them, um, but I think we'll give our listeners a really good idea of what is in the book here. And, and so they can take it further there. But the first one, hack number one is creating those process-based learning habits, the skill building. So in other words, okay, as a teacher, we've decided this is what we're going to do now. It's new for our students too. So how do we get them to understand what we're doing and start to build the habits around learning this way and engaging in their learning uh, in a new way with these new expectations? So um, wh- where do you kind of start with this one?
1: Well, you know, I think it's it's about building your classroom around the environment that works for you. So are you in a choir class? Are you in an elementary school class? Are you in a high school writing class? And then thinking about what are the processes that I need to use in order to get my students to do what I want them to do, right? Are they performing in the choir concert at Christmas time? Or are my students putting together a publication, like working back? words and then thinking how can I get that done um, and then involving the students in the work um, So like you were saying my my students know that every day we have to practice and then how can we best use that time? Some students will put in earbuds. some students want to sit on the floor with their laptop Wh- whatever that environment is and they're too right coming back to the joy if you are if you're better, working on the floor, What? why does it matter to me? Like, it does not matter to me if you're sitting in your desk or sitting on the floor. Um, and so building that environment that allows them to practice, um, you know, safe space and encouraging space, but also having some urgency. Like that bell is going to ring. And before that bell rings, here's what I need from you. Um, and then putting the student in control to produce that.
0: And um, another piece that is evident in the book is the role of feedback uh, in in learning and, and in you know the progress progress based assessments so um can you talk about how you know how you do and don't want to use feedback as you're starting to develop this dynamic
1: yeah it's exhausting if we talk about burnout that's the area where I try to focus every spare moment I have at school on providing feedback so that when I go home, I have work-life balance, but I have 180 students this semester. Um, A student just asked, when are we going to write a short story? I'm hoping to write about a 10-page short story. And I said to her, I would love that, but I have 180 students. And so if you all hand in 10 pages, let's do the math how many pages do I have to read and provide feedback on? Like that's not sustainable for my practice. And so feedback, I try to narrow it to where the student wants the feedback. So every time they submit what they've done, I'll say, leave me a comment and let me know what kind of feedback you would find useful. So maybe a student would say, I am really struggling with my tenses. Can you help me? And then if I see that five, six, seven, eight, half of my students are making comments on a certain thing like tenses, you know what the mini lesson is going to be tomorrow, right? We're going to talk about tenses tenses. Um, but then, so then they're directing me where they want the feedback that helps with them receiving the feedback because they asked for it. They want it there. Um, I also try to narrow my comments to a couple of things early on in my practice, 18 years ago, when I first started, I thought feedback was better if I gave uh, feedback on every single thing. And I learned that that is not good because students would open up their document and all they would see is I suck. I'm terrible. All of these things my teacher found is wrong. And then they would shut down and they would just say, why why even try? Because there's too many things to address. So I try to narrow my comments to a couple of things that the students have directed me to. And then I also try to give, I try three compliments for every correction. That's very hard. And I would say, honestly, I don't achieve that regularly. Most of the time it's like one for one. Every time I give a, a correction or a constructive criticism. I also try to give a compliment, but that's the majority of my prep is giving feedback. Um, but I think that that's where the learning occurs. That's where they're thinking about their choices. That's where they're seeing the greatest gains.
0: Yeah. I think that's a great application of feedback. We've had a chance to discuss that a little bit on a recent episode with Matt Renwick from the perspective of how a principal gives feedback to teachers, right? And really being mindful of what's actionable, what's not, what, it, how do we do this collaboratively where I'm giving feedback that, people actually want so they can do something with it. Um, and the same thing applies to the, the students in this case. And um, how, how do you find that they their ability to, to self-evaluate improves as they are going through that process of really thinking about, okay, I need to communicate to you where I want the feedback. So that means I really need to think about where I think my strengths are, what I think is my unique style that I'm this is the way I'm doing it. And what I think are the areas where, okay, I do need to, to maybe fix these a little bit, or I'm still just a little unsure uh, about how I'm doing.
1: Yes. They, and they've, they also learned that the more feedback they give me the better the conversation can go. Um, So if a kid's having a really rough day and they make a comment, like my grandma passed away or something, and you know, I, I couldn't focus today. Well, my goodness, I'm, I'm going to give them feedback then that will be addressed or appropriate to their life situation. Um, the same with, you know, kids might tell me, I just feel terrible about this piece. And then they, they realize that once they say that one, I'm not going to make them feel worse if I already know that they don't like it. And then two, I'm going to try to say, here's all the places where I think this is really working. And then here are the places where I agree with you. These aren't working. Let's take them out and just taking feedback as neutral data, right? I'm not going to be offended if somebody doesn't like it or it's not working or I screwed up my verbs. We don't need to get upset about it. There's something that we can do to modify it. Um, I also find that questions are really effective as long as they're genuine. <laughs> you know, like making sure that there's, it allows the student to take control. Like sometimes I'll just say, what are your thoughts on a title? And I genuinely want to know, like what, what are your thoughts? And then they typically have some deep ones that they've been pondering instead of just saying like minus five, there's no title. Um. You know, allow them through the feedback to explain their process to you.
0: Right. Excellent. Um, so let's let's move on to hack number two, which is encourage progress, not perfection. So this is really about those daily habits and, and getting into the the process of just focusing on getting a little better every day, not whatever the end outcome is. You know it it seems that with this if we think about how it relates to certain students or certain you know learners who maybe are so used to doing things one way that there are certain areas where there's going to be pushback here um where 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 do you observe that the pushback typically comes from when you really try to lean into this uh this new habit
1: i think it's with anything that we when it's not working we want to give up (laughs) you know like i'm i'm just a terrible writer there's nothing i can do about it and and that's that's human nature too. And so allowing kids to say, what can you control? What, what can you do? And then leaning into that. And then also, you know, we were kind of talking about this before, celebrating things that we might see as failures and just reframing them as, okay, that didn't work. Great. What did we learn from that? What can we try again, doing more of what works and less of what doesn't. Um, but the kids they start to see it the more that they practice that it is accumulating and that they are seeing gains and that helps too when it comes to their motivation and to their joy that it's it's not all in vain. Like you've, you've put in all of this work and look at your volume of, you you know, your body of work, look at your portfolio. And then you can also see the growth and of course not linear, right? Like some days were better than others and some techniques worked better than others, but they really do buy in. I would not say that there's a ton of kickback.
0: Yeah. Even though, so this is going to be a new way of teaching and learning for a lot of students uh, from your uh, experience, would you say it's largely intuitive to them? <laughs> a lot of them seem, oh, I, yeah, I wish it was always like this. Um, you know, Are they are, are they just so used to doing it another way that it takes a few beats to say, okay, now, okay, now I see this. Uh, what, what do you find there?
1: Well, I try to, at the beginning of the semester, draw those parallels that I was drawing with you and just say, what are some things that you're good at? How did you get good at those? And then we just talk about them and kids will talk about, oh, I started playing the drums and here's how I got good at the drums. And they'd talk about practice. They talk about playing different kinds of songs. Mm-hmm. They'd talk about playing with different groups of people. They'd talk about getting a private coach, you know, a private teacher. Um, and then, okay, well, how, how else? What, what other things do we get good at? And then tying that back into the content area. It's the same thing in here. This is exactly what we're going to do. We're going to practice. We're going to try different things. We're going to collaborate. We're going to get feedback. We're going to apply that feedback. You know, they, they know it and they want a safe space where they can try and develop. Like the kids don't come into this class because they're dying to be here. But once they do get here, they're willing to put in the work when they see the rewards
0: Something that I was thinking about as I was reading through this, which is almost obviously... And you mentioned this, right? You, your initial pitch was let's get rid of grades entirely. But of course, that's not going to be the case. And um, there's a lot of reasons why grades still will continue to exist. But by removing the focus on the grades and focusing more on the progress alleviates a lot of that day-to-day pressure the students are going to put on themselves and kind of reframing it as not, you're not getting an A or you're not going to get an A or a B or whatever grade, but it's about what you're ready for now, right? Right now, you know, today, the student may be, if all of their skills, knowledge, abilities, progress stopped today, maybe they would earn a C. But the good thing is that's not the case, right? It's a, that we keep going and we just keep working forward toward you know eventually getting to where we're going. Um, but it's continuous progress. And so it's not, you know, it, not crystallizing that view that a student might have of themselves of, oh, I'm only this good at this subject um, because that that might be how good you are today.
1: And they have these loops. They have these loops that they're, they're telling themselves, I'm a bad writer, I'm bad at math. And okay, maybe you've struggled in the past, but that doesn't mean that you're a bad writer or that you're bad at math. It just means that on those days, it didn't click or it didn't, you know, some, something was maybe a little off. And so getting them to reframe what they're telling themselves through the practice. Oh, I'm not a great poetry or i'm not a great poet but i am better at narratives or i'm not great at using dialogue but i can sure use the rule of thirds right and so just finding those things that they are good at and then leaning into those and developing them right you can draw the the sports connection again right you've got the people who are better at free free throws or three-point shooting or layups or we all have our own skills and then we lean into those.
0: Right. Yeah. That the first day you start playing basketball, you're not ready for the pros. But that doesn't mean that you can't play at that level. We don't know that yet, but you need to keep working on it. And <laughs> then you see.
1: And that outcome is way outside of your control. You cannot control if you're going to make it to the NBA. So many things along the way are going to happen. And so, what you can control is your daily practice, your coach, your feedback, like all of those things.
0: Yeah, and so, and when you do think about how, if we operate with the assumption that grades will persevere, um, but that we also do need to maybe think about them a little differently institutionally, and also as far as we're thinking about evaluating, okay, where students are in their current level of ability as we are looking at things like moving on to higher learning, like how should we evaluate Let's say there's, if there were four, you know, marking periods throughout a year, there's one student who got an A, all four, there's one student who got a B every time, there's one student who got DCBA, right? So two of those kids ended up at an A at the end of it. (laughs) One of them, it averages out to an A, the other one, it averages out to a C plus or whatever. But didn't they both end up at the same point? And I think that's what we want the kids to understand is it's it's really about that progress and where you're going and and where you get to, not where you are today. Is Are our other systems biased against that?
1: Yes. I mean, I, I tell my students, I did not become a teacher to grade. It is not anything I find pleasure or joy in. Mm. I do not want to put grades on, on poems, on essays, on paper. No, no. And then like you're alluding to is what do those grades communicate, right? Our system is flawed. Is that communicating effort? Is it in communicating achievement truly? Is it some artificial thing that a teacher threw on a rubric or is it, it's unclear to me what grades are truly communicating because they are so subjective, even though we try to make them objective, they're really not. Um, And so I, you know, I don't, uh, I don't, pretend to have all of the answers for how to do it. Um, But I can just say that grading the process in my classroom and the other teachers who I've talked to who grade the process, not the outcome, um, they find that their students make larger gains. They learn more about themselves. They can communicate what their grade means accurately to their parents, to themselves. They take ownership over that. Um, And it's been... It's been a joy for me because I don't have to talk about grades. Right? We we know those grade grabbers. Well, what do I have to do to get an A? Or oh, I have an 89.5. Can you round up? And it's like, I no, I, I don't even know how to do that in my grade book. Like that's not a thing. Well, so-and-so did it. And it's like, I don't I, why, why are we talking about this? This is not why I'm here. I'm not a teacher to grade. And so focusing then on the process, on the work has energized me and also the students, they are stressed out by grades. Every time you put a grade into our online system, they get an alert and their parents get an alert. As you can imagine, this is stressful. This provides a lot of conflict and difficult conversations. And so by just removing that, they're also allowed to enjoy the class more because they don't get those constant alerts and it's not grade focused.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a curious thing to dive into and because uh, I think a lot of the ways that grades are traditionally presented in particular the way a GPA is calculated right it almost treats the student as static uh, right as though they're each time they're taking an assessment or each semester they're the same student learning the same thing and they have the same ability to achieve same. and so when you just average it out you know, even if you look at a student who has really high grades, all four years of high school versus a student whose grades get a little better each year. And at the end, you know, their last year, they have about the same grades. Well, didn't they both, aren't they both currently operating <laughs> at the same high level? Although one, you know, you would indicate, well, this is a great student and this one's, and it's not meant to take away from the students who are, who are you know, already doing well, but, but it's yeah kind of there's something that gets lost in that process and makes it that much harder to then go back to those learners and say don't worry about (laughs) this this is not the emphasis before they kind of harden that view of themselves as I'm a C student I'm a B student I'm a whatever which is not the point right and because you keep learning and going and even if you have again it might be non-linear you may have a certain subject or a certain semester where there's something that's really challenging you and um and you just don't do as well but it doesn't mean that you uh, it's it's just one thing um so yeah it's just an you know it's it's beyond maybe the scope of this but it's interesting to think about okay how do these things work together and if we learn that we're seeing real progress um in, in learning and and how students are performing uh, when we're recontextualizing things, is there a way to take that further? Um, so let's move then to, to hack number three, and this is the, the last one that I'll dictate that we dive into um, uh, more deeply, but it's this is an important one. It's relinquishing control for the teacher and, and adopting that how-driven classroom. So we're talking about, transferring control to the student. What are the mindsets that are required here for both the teacher and the student to, to make this transfer of control happen?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's giving the student ownership over how they do things. So I was, if we wanna go back to that welding teacher, right? He gave a model and he talked about what worked for him and you know how he'd practiced it different ways, but ultimately how the student got to the end was up to them. And they would only learn how to do it if they tried different ways. Um, same same thing with writing, I'm going to give them a bunch of different techniques and then you're going to try it. And for me to say, oh, you have to have a metaphor in this piece. Well, my goodness, maybe you're not good at writing metaphors or maybe metaphor doesn't fit, you know? And so how you put that together, maybe it's the purple pen or the crazy font, right? Those little things are, are up to them. Um, this can be scary at the beginning for students who are used to the rubric. Do this, this, and this, and then you get an A. Um, it can be a little bit overwhelming. Where no, I'm I'm not going to tell you. You're you're going to try something, and then we're going to have a conversation, and you're we're going to decide together. Does it work? And where can we make it better? Um, I'll point out some things that might be wrong, like maybe the semicolon is used incorrectly, but we can address that tomorrow in the mini lesson. You know, it's not it's not getting wound up in the minutia. It's putting the students in the driver's seats, giving them just the okay, right? The green light to to lean into what makes them work, what makes their process better.
0: Yeah, how how does the classroom operate differently once this clicks?
1: Uh, More production. So I'm thinking I have a girl who first couple of classes, she wasn't turning in anything. And I was like, this is this is not going to work. What is going on? And she's like, well, it's not done. And I was like, well, I know it's not done. And she she could not get over that she was going to share something with me that wasn't perfect in her mind. And, you know, I questioned her on that. When would that be two weeks? Is it going to be perfect? In a semester, is it going to be perfect? How, what, what are we measuring this? Well, I just, I cannot submit it if it's not. And I'm like, let's just try it. Let's see what happens. And so she showed me what she had been working on. And, you know, I I praised her as much as I could because I wanted her to know that it's a safe space. And I'm not downgrading. I'm not going to go on that rubric and circle all of these things that you didn't do. And so that's, it's more just about you did something and now we have something to talk about.
0: Awesome. So there's uh, six more of these chapters in the book. Is there another one that you would like to highlight for our listeners? You know, that's a good one for them to hear about today.
1: I like the find a purpose, um, authentic learning opportunities. I think that that is key. uh, Tying back to the college essay workshop, those kids came and they were motivated because they had an authentic purpose for their work. So look at your content area. What is it? right what what is that work if you're in the band class are you going to the state solo and ensemble competition and or are you preparing a barbershop quartet in the choir class for a concert what's that real purpose that can motivate students um, much like a sectional final or the state game would in in basketball what's that in your content area to me that's that's really at the core of all of this is why are we doing the work what's the end goal
0: right yeah that purpose piece is, is something i mean I, that i've thought a, a lot about and it really is the the key ingredient that makes our motivation resilient it's whether you're an adult and you're in the workforce and that factor is money or whether you're a student and it's grades um you know your motivation to do what you're doing might be pretty good as long as that Thing is working out okay. But once it's not going that great, what's the thing that keeps you going and saying, okay, I have, there's something else driving me. And it's that sense of purpose and that sense of knowing I'm doing something that I really care about. I'm doing something that I think is meaningful and impactful. It's, it's going to allow me to do X, Y, and Z, whatever are my objectives, whatever I feel is meaningful to me. And that's why I have to keep working at it. And, um, and that those stories abound, you know, and, and of course the, the, you know, history uh, is, is written by the winners or whatever, but whenever you you know, read um, biographies of people who've been successful in different fields, uh, a lot of them, Started out where there was no expectations of success from anyone around them. And they had some goal of something they wanted to achieve. And they, they just, for whatever reason, that was the thing. I'm really motivated by this. And, and um, it takes a long time.
1: It gives it an an end too, right? I am going to perform on this day. I'm going to submit my poem to this competition that ends on this day. It's, It's a sense of urgency. Like I need to focus in on my work because this is looming. This deadline's coming up. I want to run a half marathon. The half marathon is in February. I think backwards then to all the habits I have to build before that. And then once I run the marathon, which I can never control, my outcome, right? I have no idea who else I'm competing against. My sister, the Olympic and world champion, she might show up and beat me. <laughs> I cannot control that, but I can control all those little things. And that's then what gives me this sense of pride and fulfillment that I did everything I could, even if I didn't win, right? I can't beat Gwen Jorgensen, but, <laughs> but I, I showed up and I, I gave it a real go. Um, and then what's next, right? That authentic opportunity, it was there. I did it. Now what? Right, and then, so then it, it starts all over and just this continuing to ask students, okay, we just submitted this piece. Maybe some of you were published, maybe some of you weren't. What do you notice about the pieces that were published? How can we improve our process going forward? And then trying it again and just on repeat forever and ever and ever. Um, the That authentic goal, that, that, that purpose, I just like that it ends <laughs> and that that in turn gives us some urgency to move forward
0: right excellent so as we're kind of tying this all together um we've certainly talked already about the fact that progress we've talked about progress in learning isn't necessarily linear um or even immediate and the same you know would be the case with teaching and with um adopting (laughs) these practices right to say that it's not always going to look like it's obviously working that much better or there's going to be certain times or certain classes where it's like, uh, you know, are the challenges to this more, <laughs> are they outweighing uh, the benefits? How do, um, how how does a school sustain these habits? I, 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 and basketball has come up a number of times in this interview and um Uh, a phrase that is uh, used multiple times in the book and that uh, our listeners haven't heard me talk about yet as a uh, Philadelphia 76ers fan is trust the process. So, So, you know, but that's kind of the key element, right, is trusting that if we have the right process for what we're wanting to achieve, that that is going to get us where we go, that it's not about It's not just you go from point A and all of a sudden you're at point B, it's how are we doing that, um, which is underpinned, of course, by why, uh, which in this case is we want every student to really feel like they're learning a lot, right? So, um, So how do we sustain this when it may look to different parties that it's, is this really making a difference?
1: You know, the sustainability question, it would be much easier for me as an instructor to just put a grade on something and then never talk about it again. That paper is graded. We are done. Moving on. I don't, it's really, really difficult because my class sizes, they get larger every semester. What's asked of me as a practitioner increases every semester. That's the sustainability question that's difficult for me to answer because I think, how is it sustainable? to give 180 students this kind of feedback day after day after day semester after semester after semester i know the outcome is going to be great i i see the the volume of work that we do i see the gains that them that they're making the students see it the parents see it the outcomes are there in terms of kids who are published and win awards and for me the sustainability question comes back to what more can we ask of our instructors <laughs> and how can i make this sustainable for me i am Yeah, I'm always trying to find ways to be better to be more efficient. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know. But I think that maybe that's a question for our administrator, our administration for our school board for our teams, the college essay workshop that we did was so effective, because it was three instructors, and then the students. If I had two instructors with me every day in my classroom, oh, things would be so much more efficient, so much more engaging. Like it just, you know, how can we build structures that support daily habits? How can we build from the, the administrative level, from the district level, the sustainability? I don't, I can't, I can't do that.
0: Excellent. So um, Elizabeth, we have, you know, we're, we're where can our listeners find more about your work if they're interested in this book? Um, And Elizabeth also, she referenced her uh, sister being an Olympian, she she co-authored a memoir about that. She also um, is passionate about uh, the Korean form of poetry called Shijo. So she has a lot of uh, different writing and a lot of different work she's doing that might be interesting to our listeners. So where can they find out about that and connect with you?
1: Yeah, uh, I've got a website, lizjorgensen.weebly.com. I'm pretty active on Twitter at Liza Jo, L-Y-Z-A-J-O. You can contact me um, via email as well, right through my website, um, or just elizabeth.jorgensen at gmail.com. I've had quite a few teachers who have read the book and then reached out to me and said, okay, here's what I want to do. What now? Or I read this chapter and now I'm thinking this, <laughs> walk me through how you do this. Uh, I would love to have those kinds of conversations with individual teachers or with teams of teachers, um, or I can connect you with some of the, there's some examples in here that are elementary school based. And so if you're an elementary school teacher, right, I can foster those relationships so that you can ask somebody who's doing this in, with, with littles um, on a daily basis.
0: Perfect. Well, thank you. Thank you, Elizabeth, for, for being on the podcast where we'll put the link to her website and to um, the book webpage in the show notes for anybody who wants to check those out. Uh, again, that's Hacking Student Learning Habits. So we'll put that below. Uh, please do subscribe to The Authority for more in-depth author interviews or visit bepodcast.network to learn about all of our shows. Thanks again, Elizabeth. Thank you.